Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to once again thank my brother, Marvin Jones, my fellow elder, how resourceful he is that when he's called upon at not the 11th hour, but like a quarter till the 12th hour, he is ready with the word of the Lord. He is a picture of being instant in season and out of season and ready to preach. And so I thank the Lord uh, for him and for his willingness and such a help to me in, in so many, many different ways. And so I praise the Lord for him. So Ephesians chapter 6, I want us to read the, the first four verses here. And the message today is entitled God's Word to Christian Parents. And really what we're going to look at today is we're looking at one large sermon sort of just sliced in half, okay? So uh, Lord willing, we're going to see the first part of it today and the second part of it uh, next Lord's Day. It may actually be more than that. So uh, we may actually be getting a quarter of one big, bigger sermon. So we'll just have to see how that goes in the later weeks. But this morning, I want us to read the first four verses in Ephesians chapter 6. The Word of God says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I want to read that last verse one more time. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, I want us just to jump straight into this. And what I want us to see really is sort of a platform, a foundation uh, a setup, if you will, for what we're going to see next time. And so today what I want us to look at and what I want us to think about is, is how our view of God and how our view of men, mankind, humanity, how it will ultimately affect us as we engage in raising our children, as we seek to raise our children. And so I want to begin right at the beginning and I want us to talk, first of all, about the nature of God. And by the way, you'll see these uh, bullet points in your bulletin, I, I trust, this week. Uh, they were the same ones I sent for last week, so nothing has changed as far as that goes. So the nature of God, let's begin with that, the nature of God, because inevitably what we have to do is we have to take our view of God from the Scriptures. We have to take our view of God from where God has revealed himself on who he is. And if we don't do that, we're going to take our view of God from our own selves, from our own imagination, from our own thinking about how God is. In other words, from our own mind. So when you think about the nature of God, you're either going to derive who God is either by the word of God or by what you think about God in your own mind. Those really are the only two sources of authority when it comes to thinking about who God is. We're either going to allow the Lord to change us by the knowledge of his image as it is revealed in his word, letting him mold us, letting him shape us, or we're going to come up with God in our own image, out of our own minds and out of our own imagination. And, and realize that any time you do that, any time you create this God out of your own mind and your own thinking, 
You need to understand that is a false God because the only true God is a God who exists as revealed in the pages of Scripture. This is the only true God here. Any other God is a God of our own imagination. Any other God is a, is a false God. So either way you do it, whether you take your view of God from the Scriptures or whether you take your view of God from your own imaginations, either way, that is going to shape how you raise your children. It's going to form it. And so I can demonstrate that with two extremes. And, and one extreme in, parent, in parenting, the first one, we want to call it this. We want to call it the provoking parent, okay? I'm going to try to keep these sort of alliterated, all right? The provoking parent. And we're going to actually really spend more time talking about this parent next time, the provoking parent. But today, just know that this kind of parent does exist. I mean, look at verse 4, what it says right there. Verse 4 speaks of this kind of parent. Look at it. Fathers, what does the Bible say? Do not what? Provoke. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's this kind of parent right here. There's this kind of parent who is the provoking parent, this parent who provokes his or her children. Now, when we think about that, when we think about provoking children, there are many, many ways to provoke a child, no doubt about that. But one way to do it, for sure, is to deal with your child, to deal with your children apart from love, apart from concern, apart from care. Uh, there is a kind of parenting that is very, very cold. It's very harsh. It's very negative. It's all law and there's no grace. That kind of parenting that is entirely negative. Uh, there's very little to be praised. There's very little to be rewarded. There's very little uh, words of exhortation. There are very few smiles that take place around the house. And that kind of parent really is, is rarely pleased. Rarely are they ever pleased with their child. And the Bible describes that kind of parent, that kind of parent that is uh, angry, that kind of parent that is upset, that kind of parent that is dissatisfied, that kind of parent that really, nine times out of ten, all they can see in their child is what is wrong with their child. And Scripture talks about that parent. The Bible describes that kind of parenting as parenting that will absolutely exasperate a child and literally cause them to lose heart. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, this is the parallel book to the book of Ephesians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, the Bible says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Do you realize this, parents? Parents who have children still in the home, parents you are still raising your children, do you realize this, parents, that if you deal with your children in an unloving way and in a harsh way, you can literally, Scripture says, you, can, you, you parent, you can literally rip the heart out of your child. That is what this is saying. You can cause them to be so discouraged, so exasperated, parents, that, that they just don't know what to do anymore. And they don't feel like trying to do anymore because even when I do try to honor my parents, even when I do try to obey my parents, good is never good enough. 
So why even continue to try? And inevitably, whenever you find a parent like that, if you would explore their view of God, you would find that their view of God is oftentimes very much like their view of parenting. Very similar. For some people, that is the God that they think of. God is a God of law and very much a God of little grace. In other words, God is always angry with me as his child. God is rarely ever pleased with me. God never has encouragement for me. There's never anything from God that, that I feel is warm or accepting or affirming or encouraging to me. There's none of that. Rarely do I ever get reassurance from God. And so that's what you find. You find that their view, now they may not say it, but their view oftentimes is a view of a God who, quite honestly, is never happy with their progress in sanctification. He's just just and harsh and angry with them, and that is it. And ultimately, when you think about their view of salvation, when we sort of switch gears and talk about salvation, whether they're conscious of it or not, it's oftentimes a view of works. For them, in their salvation, they're constantly thinking about their performance before God. How are they doing before God in keeping up with obedience and laws and this thing? And their whole relationship, God, is just that. It's a matter of performance. It's a matter of, of discipline. It's a matter of constantly uh, looking at their lives to see, am I making the grade? And they never think about the grace of God. They never think about the gospel of God that forgives us when we do fall short of where we should be in the Christian life. And so... In a strange twist, you're going to find that these people are very, very proud and they believe that no one measures up to the standards of God, not even themselves, but even knowing they don't measure up, oftentimes they look at themselves as measuring up more than other people measure up. So ironically, they're often prideful people when it comes to this. And so either way is wrong. You find that their view of God is wrong and their view of themselves is wrong. And as a result, their view of parenting is wrong. Now, I know there are going to be many, many variations of this, but throughout history and in, even into to our present day today, and you see this a lot, there's always been this kind of parenting in the world, this kind of parenting that, again, we would call the provoking parent, someone who is provoking. But... There's another kind of parent that is in the world today. One that, that I would say is a more popular kind of parent. A parent that you see more often, really, than the provoking parent. One that's much more of a view of parenting that I would say is more pervasive today. And we would call that parent, again, trying to keep the alliteration going, we call that parent the passive parent. You have the provoking parent on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, you have the passive parent. There's someone who's very passive with their child. And it's always interesting to me how, how we as human beings, when it comes to the divine standards that God has in the Word of God, we're always wanting to sort of water those down, sort of bring those things down. Uh, there's a saying in our culture, and it goes like this, and you guys know it, spare the rod Spoil the child, right. Now, is that what the Bible says? Many people think that came straight out of the Bible. 
But is that, is that what the Bible says? Is that actually in the Bible? No, that is not what the Bible says. You'll never find in your Bible where it says, spare the rod and spoil the child. So what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24, he who withholds his child hates his child. Uh, he he with, who withholds, excuse me, his rod hates his son. That's what it says. The Bible doesn't say spare the rod, spoil the child. No, the Bible says if you spare the rod, you hate your son. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. The verse goes on to say this, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 22, 15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Did you hear that? The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Now we have to say this, especially in the day we're living in, we need to understand the Bible is not in any shape, form, or fashion advocating any type of child abuse here. And unfortunately, we do live in a time where there is very, very much child abuse as if a man can take an implement of discipline in his hand and use it, and just by him using it, thinking he's doing discipline in a biblical way. Then that is absolutely wrong. Now, what the Bible is teaching here is it is teaching that there is such a thing as a properly administered spanking. And when you have a properly administered spanking, the Bible is saying what you need to understand is this. That spanking will not, on the one hand, that spanking will not kill the child. No, all the way on the other hand, that spanking will actually save the child's life. Not any spanking, but a properly biblically informed spanking. A properly administered spanking. That will save the child's life. That will help the child. So think about it with me. Why all of these exhortations to discipline? I'll just go back and read some of them. Why, why all these words uh, do not hold back discipline? Uh, discipline your son while there's hope. Do not spare the rod. Do not let a child have his own way. Well, why all of these exhortations? Why do we have that so much in Scripture? Well, the reason we have that is because there were parents who were not doing this. There were parents who would not discipline their children. There were parents who were neglectful of discipline. So therefore, hence, all of these admonition, uh, admonitions to actually be engaged parents in proper biblical discipline. So there is a kind of parent that is like this. There is a, a kind of parent that is almost totally passive. And for this kind of parent, they're looking to accomplish the job they need to do with, uh, with, with, with certain looks, uh, certain sort of soft words. And there's the belief that, you know what, if, if, we just, if I can just appeal to, to, to my child's uh, good nature, if I can appeal to my child's higher motives, he or she, if I just reason with them, 
at that level. He or she will actually desire and eventually do the right thing. Because you see at the root of it, and we're going to talk about this in just a little bit, but at the root of this passive parenting is really a belief that, you know what, when it comes to my child and their basic nature, their basic nature is actually good. When you pull back all of the layers and get down to the bottom of it and look at that heart, what we really see in my little son or little daughter is basically someone who is good. And so if I can just appeal to that, if I can appeal to that good heart and their good motives to, to their higher self, well, if I can connect with that, well, then, then they'll do the right thing. Then they'll respond in the right way. And there's the belief that we really need, need to let our children just to, to be expressive. In other words, in, in our parenting, don't hold them back. Don't hinder them. Don't, don't hedge them in. Just, just let all of that, because again, there's goodness down there, right? And so we just let all of that potential just sort of come out. And so we don't want to hedge them in. We want them to express all of their feelings and all of their thoughts and all of their choices. I mean, how many times, especially in our day and age, have you heard a parent say, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to let my child decide. And we're not talking about small things. We're talking about major, major significant decisions. I mean, these are decisions that, that like scream for a parent to be involved here, right? The screen for a parent to give direction. The screen for a parent to either give a yes or give a no here. And yet, instead, what do you see? You see parents say, well, you know what? I'm just going to let little Johnny decide what he wants to do here. I'm going to let little Susie make this decision here in our lives. And that mindset about parenting, that, that passive mindset, I want to tell you, that is just influencing the entire world today. We have people who have been born into that, been raised that way, and now they are adults. And we see the fruit of that in our world today. And if you were to explore most of these parents' views of God, you would find that their view of God is very much like their own parenting. They see God as, well, you know what, God, God is just a, a really a sort of a lenient grandfather. He has no real firm standards. He has no real firm uh, commands that we need to obey. God would never be punishing. God would never have any type of retribution. In fact, these people who would be more of, when we think about churches and denominations, they would probably be found more in, in a liberal sort of mainline church. Well, they cannot even believe that God would even have a real place called hell. It doesn't just... It just doesn't fit with their view of God at all. And many people don't believe that the Word of God is actually the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. Most of these do not. But many times you'll hear, even in churches, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, you know, okay, there was the God of the Old Testament, and now there's the God of the New Testament. As if God changes. But God doesn't change. God hasn't changed at all. And you know what? This, this view that, okay, well, in the Old Testament, all we have is law. And in the New Testament, all we have is grace. Uh, that is completely false. No, God hasn't changed. When you look in the Old Testament, yes, you had laws. You had many laws. You had the Mosaic Covenant. But in the Mosaic Covenant, what else do you have? 
You have sacrifices for sin, don't you? You have grace that is there. You have offerings to cover sin. And when you have sacrifice for sin, offerings to cover sin, what is that called? It's called grace, isn't it? That's called grace. And then in the New Testament, with all of its emphasis on grace, there's also the very clear message that grace is not lawlessness. Grace does not equal lawlessness. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, Paul writes, To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. Here's a man, the Apostle Paul, who is saying that I am a Christian and even as I am a Christian and I have experienced the saving grace of God, you need to understand I am not outside of the law of Christ. I am under the law of Christ. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, it tells us what grace teaches us. Listen to what it says. It says, for the grace of God, the grace of God, has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. Okay, so now here's what grace is going to teach. The grace of God has appeared. Now, instructing us what? What is grace going to teach us? Listen to this. To deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I want to tell you this. Grace will never, ever teach you to set aside the law of God. Grace will never teach you to do that. Grace will always teach you what it just said. It teaches you here. It will always teach you to live sensibly, righteously, and godly right now. So, when you're on one end of the spectrum, when you're over here, when, you, when you're the provoking parent, they have a wrong view of God many times. But if you talk about the passive parent too, they also have a wrong view of God as well. And, and what they have in common is that when you talk about the atonement, well, neither one of them could really understand the atonement. Both would have a hard time understanding the cross because on the one hand, they would not understand the necessity of the cross. In other words, the justice of God, the holiness of God that requires the cross of Christ. Or on the other hand, they wouldn't understand the love of Christ. They wouldn't understand the mercy of Christ and the grace that brought that cross to pass. So, if it's not the provoking parent that we are to be, and it's not the passive parent that we are to be, well then what kind of parent are we to be? And I find that the biblical model falls between these two extremes here. The biblical model involves both love and discipline both of these things and I want to tell you I want us to look this morning at the best example we have of parenting as a matter of fact I want us to look at the perfect example of parenting I want us to look and see how God parents so turn over to the book of Hebrews if you would Hebrews chapter 12 because the best example we have of this is our God Hebrews chapter 12 and look beginning in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us 
also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, notice this. For those whom the Lord loves, what does it say he does? Look at it. He disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. He goes on, notice. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if God does not set you straight, if God does not discipline you, if God does not, from time to time when you need it, give you this, this, this spiritual spanking here when when you need it in your life, if he does not do that, then what you are seeing in your life is the evidence that you don't really belong to God. That you don't belong to him. This passage just stresses again and again with its all-inclusive terms that, that everyone, listen, everyone who belongs to God in a saving sense, everyone who belongs to Christ, everyone, all of them, all of us experience this discipline. He then goes on to talk to us as parents. Notice verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And you know what? Those of us who have had faithful parents, those of us who, who have had parents who, who did this, I mean, we can think of that, right? We can think of the, the physical side of things, can't we, right? And we understand, don't we, this spiritual lesson? Because there were those times, right, when our parents disciplined us and were disciplinarians with us. And you look back on your childhood, and you're probably not going to put that under the column of, hey, these are the most joyful times I ever had with my parents. And it's not. And biblically it says it's not. It is not joyful. But anyone who would be trained by that, you'd probably be willing to say, okay, you know what, I'm 20 years down the road. I'm 30 years down the road. I'm 40 years down the road. And you know what, now I look at the fruit of that. And I look at the fruit of, uh, of that discipline. And now I see, by God's grace, a life that is well-ordered. And I now see how God worked through the disciplinary training of my parents in my life. And you look back and you say, you know what? That, that wasn't joyful for the moment. 
But you know what it produced? It actually produced good things in my life. It's not joyful for the moment, it says, but afterwards it says it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You want peace in a life? Have discipline in a life. Be disciplined by your parents. And so in the same way, God does this. This is what God does. He, he disciplines his children. And for the moment when you are under that scourge of God, when you're under the rod of God, it does not seem to be a joyful thing. But when you look at what God produces in your life through that training, you see this is well worth it. This is well worth it. What do you see in this passage in Hebrews 12? You see that love and discipline go hand in hand, right? I mean, look at it. For those whom the Lord loves, what does it say? He disciplines. Or as Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, again, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Let me just read that again. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. So what do we see here? Okay, well, there's true love in the home. Guess what? There's going to be diligent discipline in the home. And where there's real discipline, what is there to be? There's to be love. There's to be care. There's to be instruction. And so if you have discipline without the love, that is not the biblical model. But if you have what is called love and you don't have discipline in the home with your children, well, what you have there is not the biblical model either. No, biblical child training involves both love and discipline. You see it back in our text. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse 7 and, and notice we see these things tied together. Ephesians chapter, oh, sorry, verse 4, not verse 7. <laughs> Ephesians 6 verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, if you take that to heart, you do away with the first extreme, right? Here's the, here's the provoking parent getting set away. No, we, we don't have provoking parents. Do not provoke your children to anger. That deals with, with the harsh parent, right? But then notice the next statement he says. But bring them up in what? The discipline and instruction of the Lord. That deals with the passive parent there. And the Lord tells us that this this training atmosphere is to be the instruction of the Lord. It's the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. So as we think about God rightly, and we think about ourselves rightly, we'll know that this is how we are to properly raise our children. We're not to be the passive parent on one side, but yet on the other side, we're not to be the provoking parent as well. No, we are to be the parent that has the balance of the two. Love and discipline and all of it in the instruction of the Lord. All of it with the knowledge of God. So this leads to the second thing, not only what we believe about the nature of God, but I want you to see with me, second, the nature of man. The nature of man. Listen, it's getting hot up here. I know some of y'all have like the air on your phone. Can y'all like do your thing to kind of Get a little bit. I'm seeing some people fan too as well. Okay. So y'all do your thing, okay? <laughs> Please. All right. So number two, the nature of man. The nature of man. Because our parenting is going to be dictated 
by what we believe about the nature of man. So what do we believe about human nature? And when you look at these two parenting extremes here, believe it or not, what they have in common is they're both wrong on human nature. We talk about the nature of man. Let me just uh, point out a few things that we know from the Word of God about human nature and show you how they all relate to how we raise our children, okay? Again, we're thinking now about human nature, all right? So how does that relate to how we raise our children? First of all, I think we can say this, that we know that when it comes to the nature of man, we know that man is born with a sinful nature. Man is born with a sinful nature, right? Is man born with a good heart? Is man born innocent? Scripture says no, we're not. And so they are little sinners from birth. Just like I asked last time, the week before. Think about it. When you had little children come into your home, did you have to sit down and give them a lecture on this is how you tell a lie? Did you have to sit down and lecture them before a play group that, hey, when you go run out with those children and, and you start playing with those children, I want to teach you a lesson. This is how you show yourself to be selfish with all those little kids out there. I know you don't know how to do it, but I'm going to teach you how to do it. Do we have to do that? No, it came by nature. They knew how to do all of those things. And so why do they know how to do those things and do not have to be taught those things? It's because of their nature. It's because of their nature. Now, if you know that, then what does that teach you about parenting? Well, first of all, it tells you that if you neglect discipline, you are going to absolutely ruin your child. The Bible says foolishness is bound up where? In the heart of a child, right? Where is the foolishness bound up? It's in the heart. Where, where is that nature of man at? Where does it flow from? The heart, the heart is the fountainhead. Everything is coming out from the heart. And so what is there in the heart? What is there in the very nature of man? What is there in that child? Scripture says it is foolishness. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Do you know that the Bible teaches that there is this connection between the heart in the hindquarters of a child? I mean, that, that's what it says there. There is. But listen, it's only if the discipline is done correctly. Only if it is done correctly. But there is. There is this connection between the physically, properly administered teaching of a child through discipline and the heart. To properly teach your children through discipline that there are painful repercussions when you do something that is wrong. That is discipline. And if you don't discipline your child, Scripture says you are ultimately going to ruin them. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And anyone who's ever been around a child like that, can I get an Amen. I mean, you've seen it, right? They just get their own way constantly. And you see the mother there, and she's just downtrodden, and she's broken down, and she's torn down. And there is shame. There is shame that is brought to the parents. So we know when we understand human nature, we know that, that we can't, because of their nature, we can't appeal to, to, to the good-heartedness of them. We can't appeal to the, to the highest of, that's in them because the Bible says that, well, what they have in them is not that. It's actually just foolishness. 
That is what they have in them. And so we have to teach them that there are, are boundaries. There are uh, things that are right, things that are wrong. You're going to get yeses over here. You're going to get noes over here. And we have to set down rules that we expect for them to keep. And we have to do that. And whenever those things are violated, there has to be biblically consistent, biblically informed, biblically administered discipline with the child. And on the other hand though, when we know this about human nature, we also know that discipline is not really the ultimate answer, right? It's not really the ultimate answer. If I don't discipline my child, yes, scripture said it's going to lead to their ruin, that's true, but it's also true to say this, that all the discipline in the world is not going to solve their deepest problem. I cannot discipline my child into the kingdom of God. I cannot discipline my child into a relationship with Christ by which his sins will be forgiven forever and ever and ever. All the proper correct discipline of the world cannot do that. Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, 13 verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. There's a little bit of sarcasm there. Can a leopard change his skin? No. Can a, can a uh, 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 what animal was that? His spots? Uh, uh, leopard spots, right. Ethiopian skin, leopard spots, okay. You can't do that. It's your nature. It's who you are. And so then the sarcasm comes. Well, then you who are so accustomed to doing evil, can you do anything different? Absolutely not. It's just your nature. You can't do that. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 22. Though you pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grains, a pestle you ever see, like the, the old things of people making medicine, they've got the little bowl and they've got the, the stuff and they're grounding it into that, that little thing they're using to ground, that, that's a pestle. So the, though you pound a fool into a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. That's why a change of heart is needed. And you can't discipline into a change of heart. Salvation is needed here. Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19 and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them and I will take out the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36 26 moreover I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now that is what your children really need right there. That is what they need. Do you realize you can, you can carry out consistent biblical discipline in your family? And you can have a kid who is, is, is very mannerly, uh, a child who is a good citizen, a child who is a respectful person, a child who impresses all of us with their obedience. They're very quick to do the things you say to do and not do the things you say not to do. And yet that same child have no love for God within their hearts. None whatsoever. And just because your child looks good to your neighbors and they look good to your friends and then you bring them here in church and they, they look so good to us. I mean, we're just amazed and enthralled at their obedience. And yet if they don't have a heart for God, I want to tell you, you should not be puffed up on the compliments of how wonderful your children obey. It should break your heart that your child does not have a relationship with the living Christ. This is not a place for pride. 
This is a place for godly sorrow until your child comes to know the Lord because the greatest need your child has in his life or her life is to love the Lord God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all the discipline in the world, though it may lead to, to, to even opportunities to share the gospel with them, it will not produce a changed heart in them. You cannot do that. Only God can do that. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Yeah, you won the best kid in the world award on all counts. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And if one of our children turned out to be the greatest person in society, highly respected, highly acclaimed, but they have no love for God, we of all people should be the most brokenhearted over that. We should have brokenhearted mothers and fathers. And so when I understand human nature, I understand that the discipline is a part of training them, but discipline is not the ultimate answer. No, salvation is the ultimate answer. There's another thing we know about a human being. Second, we know that man then is born in need of the grace of God. Man is born in need of the grace of God. And when we see that as a parent, we, we remember what the Lord did when he saved us. He gave us mercy. And so therefore, we are to reflect mercy to our children. First Peter chapter 2, verse 10, For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How did you become a Christian? You became a Christian because you received mercy from God. You received mercy. God brought salvation to you in his son. And he took out that heart of stone that you've had in there all the way from birth. And he put in a heart of flesh. And he gave you a new nature. He gave you a new heart. So that when we look at our children and, and, and when we see our, our children struggling in certain areas of their life, this area of his life, this area of her life, when they disobey us, even though, yes, we must discipline them and, yes, we must set these boundaries, it's, it's not to be this harsh discipline. It's not to be this cold discipline. It's not to be this, this, this loveless type of discipline that we learned about. It's not to be the discipline of the provoking parent. Not at all. No, rather, we look at them through the eyes of God and we realize that ultimately what they need in their life is the thing that God gave us in our lives. They need mercy. They need mercy. And if God showed me mercy, then am I not to show mercy to my children? Mercy to them. These are the things as parents we must strive for, to diligently discipline them because we realize ultimately what I'm doing is, is I'm waiting for the Lord to do something in their life that the Lord has already done in my life. I'm waiting for the Lord to, to bring discipline to them. I mean, not discipline, but mercy to them. And so that's why I discipline. That's why I do what I do. I'm waiting patiently for the Lord to bring true mercy to them. And this will always be the fruit of someone who understands salvation, that they have a merciful 
heart. Listen to this. James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. James 2.13 says, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen to this. James chapter 1, verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You, you know, what, what, what we want to see happen in our kids' lives ought to be we want to see the righteousness of God reflected in their lives. We want to see the righteousness of God established in their lives. And we've got to remember this. We can't put it there. We cannot put it there. And so the answer is not just me getting angry. Listen, that's not going to change anything. That's not going to change anything. No, God must do what only God can do in the life of my child. And then something else. At the same time, third, we understand that true mercy is a deliverance from sin. True mercy is a deliverance from sin. I mean, God showed you mercy, right? God gave you salvation, didn't he? He, he saved you to deliver you from your sin. Listen to this. Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So did, did you hear that? So where there's real mercy, there is still a hatred for sin. It said hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. You're doing that while you're still having mercy upon them. Proverbs 24, verse 11. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. You see, this does away right here with the provoking parent because there's got to be a heart of mercy. There's got to be a heart of mercy. But you know what this also does? This does away with the passive parent here because if I, if I really have mercy on my child, if I really want to see them saved from sin, I want to hold them back. I do want to hold them back. I, I, don't, I don't just watch my child just sort of staggering to the slaughter when they're struggling and I just say, uh, oh, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. There he goes, him and his hard-headed self. He's just going to butt with his own head. He's going to do what he's going to do. Now, if they are staggering to the slaughter here, as this says, I do everything in my power, I do everything in my strength to just hold them back. That is real love. That's real love. So, so I know I've got to discipline it. I know that ultimately my discipline is not the, the ultimate answer for the deepest need in their life. I, I know I've got to have mercy upon them. Yet at the same time, uh, real mercy is trying to hold them back from that which is going to destroy them. I know I've got to do that. But there's something else about human beings that influences our parenting. Fourth, Man can only be transformed by Christ in salvation. Man can only be transformed by Christ in salvation. Uh, that, that a new nature is necessary for new desires. Remember, remember what, what, what we always say time and again. How we think affects how we live. 
What we believe affects how we live. It affects what we choose. And the only way for the mind of a man or the mind of a woman to, to be changed forever is by the Lord Jesus Christ saving them, working in their life, bringing them to himself. And when he saves a soul, well, there is the mind of Christ. There's a renewed mind. There's a new heart. And so now there are new desires within that person. And so as a result, there's now a new capacity for new choices to be made. And so let's just, let's just break this down really practical. What does all of this mean? Well, it means this. It means that all of my discipline, whether it's physical discipline or verbal discipline or rules, whatever the case is, all the discipline that I do should be intended to show my child their need for Christ. That is the ultimate. All of the discipline we do should be intended to show our child their need for Christ. Until they're saved, until they're a Christian, what is all my discipline aiming at? What, what, what is the ultimate goal of it all? Is the ultimate, is the end all be all just so they sit up straight? And they respond quickly to my command. Hey, is it prideful? Do we want other parents to be seeing how well our children obey so that they come to us and tell us, great job, awesome parent you must be. Can't believe you can do that with your children. I could never, you know, pride, right? Pride. Could there be that aspect of pride there? Is that the ultimate goal? That they just simply obey our commands very quickly? No, the ultimate goal is that they come to Christ. That they come to Christ. That they see their need for Jesus. That is their ultimate goal. And that is what our discipline is to be aimed at. Which also means this, second, that all of our discipline has got to be meshed with our prayers. All of our discipline has got to be combined with our prayers how much time do you actually spend praying for your children? I want you in your heart before God to answer that right now. I want you to run down this last week, and I want you to do right now your very best to tally the minutes or maybe even the hours that you have prayed for your children. Do you pray for your children? How many times... Are we voiceless when it comes to that? But boy, we've got plenty of voice when it comes to the, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with my child stuff. I mean, he's doing this, she's doing that. I mean, my kids just drive me crazy sometimes. And you know what? We got a lot of, uh, a lot of room to speak about that. We got a lot of room to talk to other people about that. But what about the times we're talking to Christ? And we're talking to God. And we're talking to the Holy Spirit in prayer about our children. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for their obedience? Do you pray for the proper response to discipline? Do you pray for their salvation? Do you pray for their salvation? And so I know the only one that can save my child is Christ, but I know one other thing that influences my parenting is knowing what my child was ultimately made for. He was not ultimately made for someone to just be noticed, to be very obedient. He was made so that he could glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why he was made. And for him or her or whoever our children are to be able to do that, they must be saved. Because that's what they were made for. 
That they were made to glorify God. And so this means that, that, that even after they come to Christ, what is my aim? What, what do I want to accomplish? It is that they experience that. They experience what God made them for. That they are living their lives, even now as a believer, they're living their lives to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. That is our goal. That is our goal. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, again, speaking of earthly fathers, it says, For they disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. There it is. That's what we want for our children. You know what I want for my child and what you should want for your child? That they may share in the holiness of Christ. That they would share that holiness that we would want really what is best for them. What is best for them? What is the, the ultimate good for them? It is that they would live for the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. That must be our goal. You say, what happens if, you know, I'm trying to, to, to work with my child. What happens if they don't reach their educational goals? What happens if they don't uh, grow up to earn a lot of money in this world? What happens if people don't notice them in, in, in the community? What happens if they don't have their name on the back of a jersey? You know, for some sports team or something like that. Listen, I want to tell you, if your son grows up to be nothing more, nothing less than just an average Joe, and they love the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you parents of all people should be the most thankful and happy and joyous parents on the face of the earth. Because your children have come to know Christ and they're seeking to live their lives out to the glory of Christ and there should be nothing as far as being a parent that should give you more joy and more satisfaction and more cause for praise to God in in the parental realm than that and when all of a sudden we're more happy when our children accomplish temporal things than when they accomplish things within the realm of the things of God, something's wrong there. We have lost sight of it. We have lost the plot somewhere. Because this is ultimately what matters. And by the way, let me say this to you parents. If, if your child turns out to love God like we're talking about this morning, uh, do you realize that even though the Lord used you to do it, do you realize that ultimately you're not the one who gets the praise for it? <laughs> no. You're, not, you're good, but you're not that good, right? You're not the one who gets the praise for this. Uh, but we so much time, you know, we run to that parent, right? Tell me how you did it. Tell me the secret. I must be missing something. You know, with, with, with my children, I want to tell you it is God who has done it. God by His grace. So if you have that child, who is that very obedient child, quick to obey, quick to honor parents. And on top of this, by God's grace, they've come to know the Lord. And they glorify the Lord. And they seek to live for the Lord. Don't all of a sudden think, well, it's time for me to just go on the road with seminars and conferences and stuff like that. No, it wasn't you. The Lord used you. But listen, it was Christ. Christ did that. Christ accomplished that through your good obedience and even through your failings to bring this about. 
And so you pray and you teach and you work and you discipline. But ultimately, if a child comes to know Christ and to love God, to whom does all of the praise and the glory go? It goes to Almighty God. And every parent who has a child like that ought to bow their head, to bow their knee with great reverence and humbly say, thank you, God. God, you did it. And if it's ever going to be done in any family, God, you must do it. And this comes to the third and last thing we want to see today. What will affect your parenting? Not only your view of God, not only your view of man, but third, I want you to see the view of salvation. The view of salvation. Here's what we know from Scripture. First of all, we know this. The salvation is of the Lord, right? Very basic today, this morning, right? Salvation is of the Lord. And if anyone ever comes to Christ, it is because they were chosen for salvation before they were ever born. And a sovereign God has drawn that sinner to himself through the agency of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9 says, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. That means that salvation is by grace. You don't work your way to God. You don't earn your way to heaven. God has made a way, one and only way, for which sinful man is to be reconciled to holy God. It is through the death of Christ upon a cross. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, Almighty God, came into this world born of a virgin. We're entering that time of the year, that season when we, we, we really emphasize that and our thoughts, our minds are upon that. Upon that time, that moment when he took to himself sinless flesh and he lived in this world and he lived on this earth without sin and he walked on this world as a man, the God man, fully God, fully man. And he was absolutely qualified to die as a substitute for sinners on the cross, paying all the sins of all those who would ever trust in him, paying for all of our sins upon the cross. They took him down from that cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he was raised from the dead bodily, and he has ascended all the way to the right hand of the Father. And good news is now declared to the world that if you will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you will repent of your sin and believe upon him, you will be saved. God will forgive all of your sins. You will never, ever, ever be told better news than that in this world. That there's a God who will forgive you of your sins. You will be made a new creation in Christ. You will forever be a part of the family of God. An adopted son, an adopted daughter in the family of God. But you must look away from yourself. You must look away from your good works. You must look away from your church attendance, your church membership, whatever, your religiosity. And you must only look to Christ to be saved. So what's your view of salvation? Second, we can say this, the salvation is of God's power alone. God's power alone. Listen, salvation, th this is nothing short of a miracle here. It is a spiritual resurrection. God takes people who are dead. They are dead in their blindness. They are dead in their trespasses. They are dead in their sins. They are haters of God. They are dead toward God. And the Bible says no one does good. No one seeks after God. And God takes that man, God takes that woman, sinner that they are, 
And he takes the initiative in this person who would never of their own accord ever respond positively to Christ. Would never respond positively to God. And God by his grace and God by his mercy, he works regeneration down into that sinful heart. And he takes someone who is dead in their sins and he makes them alive in Christ. And as a result, there's faith. They're saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's by God's power. Because remember, salvation is of whom? The Lord, right? Salvation is of the Lord. There's something else we know about salvation. Third is this. Salvation is accomplished through means. Through means. There are instruments, we could say it that way. Salvation is all of God, it's all of the Lord, but he has chosen to work through people. He has chosen to work through the preaching of the gospel. Listen, he has chosen to work through parents, through parents. Yes, the Lord has to save your child, but we need to understand that doesn't mean that you're passive in the process. It doesn't mean that, well, God is going to save my child if he's going to save my child, so I'm just going to sit back here because there's not anything for me to do but just to sit and watch, see what sort of happens. No, God is going to work through the means of you, parent, through your prayers, through your teaching, through your admonition, through your instruction, through your example. God is going to work through your living day by day in in, in the lives of your children as they see you to touch the heart of your child. He works through means. I want to tell you, we don't say much about it, but that is why we have an adoption fund, this church. We pray, we pray that there will be people that God will move in this church to adopt children, to think about, to bring a child into your household so that every single day, you are being missional to that child. Every single day they're seeing the example of Christ in the home and they're hearing the gospel of Christ in their home. What an effect. If, if it would just happen for just one soul in Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, for one child to be adopted, for them to grow up, think about it, adopted as an infant, 18 years of seeing parents proclaiming the gospel through word and deed. 18 years of coming into a church like this and being around people like you, seeing Christ being lived out, hearing what you say, looking at marriages that glorify God, looking at people who deal with hard and sinful issues and yet go to the Lord about it. And all of this having an effect upon their life cumulatively year by year by year by year by year. I want to tell you, we, we could never put a price tag upon that. And I pray for that. I want to tell you, I pray that God would, would move in this church in such a way that there would be just a tidal wave of foster care and adoption in this church so that you don't have to go out there to preach the gospel. No, you have brought someone into your home. And there they are, captive audience that they are. And every single day, they hear the word of God. Because they're not going to get saved outside of that. Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. God is going to work through you, parent, 
if you know Christ, to bring your child to him. How we need to be proclaiming the gospel in our homes. There's something else we know about salvation. Fourth and last, it produces a real and permanent change. It produces a real change. If anyone is ever saved, they've been changed. And they have been changed not merely superficially and not merely artificially, but they have been changed at the deepest, most profound level that they have. They have been made, listen, they've been made a new creation. A new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And because they have been made a new creation, listen, they will never again be the same. Now, we've got to know that because there are parents who really believe in churches, faithful churches, gospel preaching churches, but there are parents who believe that that, that the thing I'm headed toward, my, my main goal, my, my main thing, and this is like the finish line, and if I cross it, I will have done it. The main thing is just simply for me to, to see my child to just make a profession of faith. Make a profession of faith, walk that aisle, and get into the water. Listen, parents, if your child prays a prayer... If your child makes a profession of faith, and if your child then enters into the water, but there has been no change in their life, what does that tell you? Well, that should tell you that it looks like they have never truly been saved. And so the goal as parents is not that our children merely make a public demonstration of faith, but that there is real permanent change that is the real effect of true saving faith that comes from the heart because this is something only God can do. Only God can do this. Real salvation, nothing short of real true salvation. That is what we work for. That is what we pray for. That is what we teach for. That is what we discipline for. That is what we really, really reach for. That they may truly know the living God and salvation produces a real and permanent change in their life. Because they truly, if they've truly been saved, they have been made into a brand new creature. And where this has happened, it's not to say, listen, and we're going to end with this. It's not to say that our children are perfect. Just like to say that when we were saved, we're not perfect, right? No, we fail many times, don't we? We fail often. We fail more than we want to. And so, therefore, when we do fail, we are grieved. We are grieved that we have sinned against our holy God, that we have sinned against Christ. And there will be this desire to please God. And that's the change that we're looking for in our children. Not merely just a superficial profession. Not that, not that just, they just one time prayed a prayer. And that's it. And we, we've accomplished all that we set out to do. No. It's that they have come to Christ and that they've truly been saved. And as a result of that, they are now a new creature. And we see the newness of that. We see that being carried out in their lives. And we continue to work for that and pray for that and teach for that and discipline for that and live for that. May the Lord do this in our homes. May he be pleased with us. And for those of us who, like me, who, who, who preaching a message like this, I can't tell you how many times, and two weeks to look at this, by the way.
how much I have been convicted of my failures in this, uh, of my tendency, and I'll just lay it right out there, my tendency to, to swing over to the provoking side. And maybe, maybe many of us men have to deal with that almost by default, just law. And, and, and you know, you have to reach a certain standard to be pleasing to us. And, and so the, the criticisms are many, but the encouragements and the smiles may be few. We need to repent of that. And we need to love our children like our Lord loves us. And we need to parent our children like our Lord as our spiritual heavenly father parents us with both love and true biblical discipline. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us children, how precious they are in any household, because we know that you are the one who brings fruit to the womb. Father, you give us these, these human beings, these little ones that are made in your image. And you bring this into our home and you trust these gifts to us. And, and we're the ones who are raising them and it's our stewardship. And we have them every moment of every day, Father. And sometimes we just get so caught up in the moment and the minutia of, 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 of the instant that we lose sight of the big picture of really what we are to be doing as parents. So Father, for all of us who may be out there who, who have lost sight of this, Father, and we need to confess, may confession to be part of our lives even today. And Father, help us, give us the grace we need to parent in this way, in the way that scripture calls us to parent. Now I pray for our children. I pray that they would be responsive to our formative discipline as we're teaching them and also to our corrective discipline, where we do have to have those times that Scripture says they're not joyful, but sorrowful, but yet afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Father, may they be responsive in those times as well. But more than anything, we, we pray for their souls, Father. We pray that our children, each and every one of them that you've brought into this church, that they may come to know Christ as their Savior. And Father, we pray that you would do this in their life as they're young. Help them to come to know Christ. Help it not to be superficial. Help it not to be artificial. Help it to be so real that it is a deep down change in their hearts that affect their entire life. And may they live to the glory of God. May they glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Thank you, Lord, for these children you have given to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's by grace through faith that ye are saved. A faith that's not your own. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. The gift of God to you.